0: I'm going to turn it over to you. What Thank you? you, Dean Matthew. Welcome, Wow, well, it's great to see a, a full packed house here. So uh, for our guests, we are uh, wanna welcome you to uh, Queens University and the McCall School of Business and our uh, first event this year, the bb Distinguished Leaders in Action lecture series. And what an honor uh, it is for us tonight for our first event here in the 2019-20 academic year to welcome Carol Loven to Queens and to the McCall School of Business. Um, Carol is the current uh, Charlotte Businesswoman of the Year and she's got a lot uh, to share with us and so uh, we're a little late getting started. I wanna do a couple of housekeeping items. Uh, We will have a hard stop at 6.30. Some of you have class tonight and, Carol has uh, an event following this, immediately following this, and so she will adjourn uh, to the airport. And so uh, we're going to have a hard stop at 630, but for those of you who can stay with us, uh, as you know, if you've been here before, we have the reception set up right outside. And so we'll hope that you'll stay uh, and be able to enjoy that time together Um Carol has her bio here as well and so rather than go through a long introduction here I'm going to let you hopefully you've picked one of these up when you came in Uh, she is the executive vice president chief integration officer and system chief of staff with Atrium Health she has a bachelor of science and a master's degree from the University of Washington and a master's in healthcare administration from the University of Michigan so with that uh, as a quick introduction I'm going to uh, turn it over to our distinguished guest tonight, and Carol, let me start by just saying welcome and ask if you would to tell us a little bit about your journey, where you were raised, your first job, and how you got into healthcare.
1: So it's a good thing you asked me a couple questions about before healthcare, because if you start talking about healthcare, then I won't stop talking about healthcare. <laughs> so it's so much fun. In fact, we'll recruit the whole the whole room in okay. healthcare. Okay. Um, so where I grew up I grew up in rural South Dakota. The funniest story I have about where I grew up is, we'd moved to North Carolina, we've been here about 20 years now, but before when we moved to North Carolina, uh, someone said, where are you from? And I said, South Dakota. The next time I heard them say something, they said, well, she's from the South. And I'm thinking, no. (laughs) 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 No, South Dakota is not the South. I mean, I grew up in (laughs) Little House on the Prairie world. (laughs) (laughs) not kidding. Um, But I grew up in rural South Dakota and there's, a, there's some stories that uh, we'll weave together. And for all of you, I'm looking around and seeing a lot of students, which um, I have three kids myself, and you are you guys are in such a great place with all of your lives ahead of you. So, but you'll, you'll see that um, there are some themes that start to emerge about my story. But one of them is I grew up in rural South Dakota. Uh, I went to a high school with 47 students. We wow. graduated, there were two or three uh, girls that went to college, because most people didn't go to college, but particularly women didn't, and uh, everybody sort of stayed there. Um, But I think the most significant thing about my growing up and the reason that I left South Dakota was because I had a mom and dad who said, my dad would say, I don't know why any of you kids would want to stay in South Dakota. He said, I had to do that, Uh, but you don't have to, so get out of here. So, honestly, um, I have to give the credit to him. But it was a great place, uh, very very faith-based. Grew up in a family. Went to church three times a week. Um, I was sort of a mischievous kid because I was in the middle and I had this amazing older sister who was a pianist, and my little brother was great, and I was sort of the rat of, and the runt of I'm the the middle.
0: Group. Can, yeah, so you get it. i I understand that uh, syndrome, yeah.
1: Uh, you do. <laughs> and you sort, but the, the key there is when you're the middle child, you're always trying to prove yourself. Yeah. And then you finally just get tired of it and say, and I do remember this moment when I thought, I am not trying to prove myself to anyone. I'm just who I am.
2: Yeah.
1: And um, so being the middle child worked for me. Because it gave me that was the start of my resilience math
0: okay yeah. excellent. well tell us a little bit if you will, about how you got into healthcare and then maybe segueing into that. Tell us some about atrium there's a lot of change going oh, on i gosh. mean there's I, I don't know how to keep that into a you know concise answer, but just maybe a little bit about the changes and the culture sure. and the like
1: oh I'd, I'd love to, so how did I get into healthcare? Uh, I see some atrium faces in this room, so would you please raise your hands and be recognized?
2: <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: Thank you. That's amazing. <laughs> now, we have 70,000 teammates. We don't wow. call them employees, we call them teammates. So it's like a city. Okay. Um, yeah. We can't fit them all in one place, <laughs> but we do get the leadership together. In fact, we had, uh, even yesterday, we had leadership of uh, about the top 250 or so in a room, okay. it was amazing. So more on atrium because yeah. that's my favorite thing to talk about. But how did I get into healthcare? Um, again, went to college, very few went to college. When I went to college, and if you and being a woman, you were a nurse or a teacher, you couldn't think beyond that.
2: Right.
1: Um, so I went to nursing school, and so I'm a nurse. Yeah. Um, I practiced three years as a nurse and then went back and and got a a master's as a nurse practitioner. But the problem was, so now we have nurse practitioners everywhere. But when I I made the decision to go to to graduate school and be a nurse practitioner, um, I didn't realize there were no jobs when you got out of grad school. Mm. So that was another point of resiliency. I've got Uh, to learn this stuff. I've got to figure out what to do. Uh, because I knew the nurse practitioner model was an amazing one, but it was a little ahead of its time. Okay. So, bottom line, that was my start into healthcare as being a nurse. My very first job in healthcare was a nurse's aide because, back in those days, if you were going to be a real nurse, you were a nurse's assistant, a nursing assistant first, so okay. you could do hands-on with the patient. Okay. So I did my tour of duty in nursing homes as a nurse's aide. I worked um, in college as a nursing student on the weekends and some evenings um, as a nursing assistant okay. because I just had to touch the patients. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was so important for me. Um, but fast forward, so in addition to my master's in um, nursing as a nurse practitioner, so this is really a pivotal moment in my life, in my career, I was, uh, after I graduated and couldn't find a job as a nurse practitioner, Mm -hmm. I became a clinical nurse specialist. Those things still exist and they are nurses who they teach, they educate, they do research and and they do clinical. Mm -hmm. And um, I was working in the ICU as a clinical nurse specialist and I got tagged. I kept getting tagged. Um, Part of it was to cover the night shift at the hospital I was at. And um, part of it was because probably nobody else wanted to do it. but another part of it was because I liked working with a lot of different kinds of people. And when you are, I was in, I was in a hospital in Seattle and there was about uh, 400 beds, so about half the size of CMC, but a pretty good size hospital. But like CMC is a teaching hospital, mm-hmm. so we have med students and residents, I mean, all over the place all the time. Uh, I was at a hospital that didn't have any of that. And so the physicians that you had to call during the night if something went wrong
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, were not really very happy with you in those days because <laughs> you were waking them up. Right. Um, but that, when I started covering the night shift for that hospital, then it made me think, wow, there's something to this management thing I sort of yeah. like. Yeah. And I always thought I had to get my hands on the patients. Yeah. Um, but that was another pivotal moment. So. We moved to Michigan, got married, we moved to Michigan, and I went through and got a second master's in healthcare administration, the best thing I've ever done. It was wonderful.
0: Well, how did you choose Michigan? Was there a reason for the program <laughs> yeah. at Michigan?
1: Uh, well, it was actually sort of fortuitous because we went, chose Michigan because I married a medical student. Okay. And, um, and my husband was doing his residency in radiology at Michigan, okay. and, and, and then on top of that though, Michigan, and I don't know if it still is true, but I know it has been for many years, but at the time it was number one in the country for wow. healthcare administration. Okay. And it still is usually one or two. Does anybody know where Michigan is? It's, it's right at the top, go okay. blue all the time. Yeah. And it was amazing. Uh, it, was, it was ahead of its time because when I went to, and it was a while ago when I went to grad school there, but every other program in the country was called Masters of Hospital Administration.
0: Yeah.
1: And the program at Michigan was called Masters of Healthcare Administration. So they were ahead of their time yeah. saying healthcare is much more than a hospital. And I kept thinking at the time, why is it, they, they have this funky name, but yeah. um, they were, really were ahead of time. Ahead oh. of time. Okay. So that's how, I, that's how I got into healthcare and then... Um, I guess I'll switch to Atrium. Yeah,
0: tell us about Atrium and, and So what do you guys want to
1: know about Atrium? Um, I'll tell you what I do because this is probably what everybody's the most curious about. Uh, when people think about healthcare, well, let me first say here's healthcare. Let me start this way, Healthcare 101. Um, so I'm going to pretend that nobody in this, in this room knows anything about healthcare. And so when you think of the healthcare industry, you've got to think of it in two chunks. There's the people who provide the care. You know, all the clinical people, mm-hmm. they're nurses and doctors and occupational therapists and lab technicians and all that. And then there are the people who run the business of healthcare, care, and it is a business. So this whole notion of not-for-profit health care, which is we're a not-for-profit public health care system, uh, doesn't mean that you don't make a profit. Right. It means that the profit you make, you get to plow back into Hiring more doctors and having the newest, newest MRI equipment and building mm-hmm. a new building like the Levine Cancer Institute, mm-hmm. um, so that's what not for profit healthcare is. But bottom line is you've got to have so you have to run it like a business. So mm-hmm. that's so I've been very blessed in my career because I've gotten to live the clinical side right. and the business side of healthcare.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And Atrium. So I came into Atrium uh, as a result of a merger really an acquisition.
2: Okay.
1: I, was at a, I was at Northeast Medical Center in Concord. And uh, Northeast Medical Center, again, probably about half the size of a CMC building, um, not, a, not a big system, so very small at the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, we became, in 2007, we became part of Carolina's healthcare system, which is now Atrium Health. And that's how I came in. And, you know, when you have a merger and acquisition, you, you always think, gosh, I don't know if I'm going to even have a job, mm-hmm. so that's another resilience point. Right. Because you just say, "Okay, I'm ready for it, whatever yeah. it is." Yeah. Um, but the bottom line is, at that time, I was doing strategic planning and marketing and business development, things like that, uh, for the for Northeast. Okay. And then came in and ended up doing pretty much the same thing here.
0: What was the biggest difference between? Or was it just the magnitude of scale between Northeast really and at the time, question. Carolina's yeah. healthcare?
1: Yeah, I. I I remember, in fact, I told someone this this morning, I said, when I came in, I, the thing that I was just amazed about at Carolina's health care system, where there were so many resources. Yeah. So the good thing about being in a smaller system is you have to sort of do a lot of different things, and you get to learn a lot. Yeah. Um, when you come to a large system, your, your scope is narrower, but it's much deeper. Right. And you get to do it for so many more. So it's, so that was probably the biggest change. I just okay. couldn't get over all the different resources that we had, it was amazing to me. Okay,
0: yeah, okay, terrific. Really
1: fun. Yeah, but, but I just have to say this, sure. but Atrium Health is, I mean, it is an amazing place. And uh, for those of you who live it every day, I know, I know you, can, you can help me with this. Uh, those of you who don't, uh, Atrium Health is one of the largest, largest systems, healthcare systems in the country. And when I say healthcare system, it is a system of all these, like 50 or so hospitals. Mm-hmm. We have probably a thousand care locations. We're in three states. Um, we're one of the largest, but largest doesn't mean anything if you're not good. So the other thing about Atrium is we're on a very big growth spurt right now. Mm-hmm. And you think, how big do you have to be? Um, let me tell you this story. So we are. We are big. We're one of the largest in the country, but when you think about some of the some of the, some of the companies that we're competing with for healthcare, I don't know if you all read that Walmart recently opened Walmart Health
0: uh, no, at a place
1: in yeah Google it at a place in Georgia, and it looks just like any you know pretty much advanced healthcare, not really? a hospital, right. but everything else. Yeah. Um, so we are competing with Walmart, we're competing with Google, we're competing with Apple, we're competing with CVS, we're competing with all these organizations that if our revenue, you know, the dollars that we bring, not what we make, not, not our profit, but our revenue right. is roughly $11 billion right now, um, United Healthcare, for example, is $250 wow. billion, wow. Okay. and we're competing
2: with United. Yeah.
1: Uh, so so we think scale is important and we're on a big growth spurt right now okay. and that's what i do i do the uh m a partnership work on the front end with our cfo and then i have the privilege of working to integrate so it's one thing <laughs> the to do part. yeah the real it's one thing. thing to do the deal then yeah. that's the other thing to that, And a lot of people in this room we all work together on that put
0: it together yeah okay. it's really fun thank you let, mm-hmm. let me ask you a little bit let's shift just a little bit to talk about you and your style. So leadership is a, just a critical part of what we do in the McCall School and really throughout Queens as a university. So let me start with this question. How would you describe your leadership style?
1: I should ask all the atrium people here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How would they describe your leadership They, style?
1: they probably have some thoughts on that. Um, so the best way to describe it, I, I think, is um, I am a leader and a doer. Okay. There are leaders who lead, and they see their their sole responsibility as leading and developing these amazing, massive numbers of people. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of respect for those people. I am not one of them, by the way. Okay. Um, could I be? I don't know. Right. Uh, because in the areas of strategy and marketing and business development integration, these are all little, small teams. Um, but what you have to do, and we've talked about this before, yeah. Will, you and I have. When you are in roles like that and you don't have the straight hierarchy in terms of I'm your boss, so this is what you do, right. it wouldn't be my style anyway, uh, you have to lead through influence. And you know what I tell my own kids now who um, are all out of, they're actually all out of grad school now, um, but what I tell them is you know, real leaders, real leaders are the one, anyone can lead through hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you might or might not be successful, but real leaders, um, lead because you know how to rally a group, or even whether it's small or large, around a cause, mm-hmm. gain consensus, and push the organization's strategy mm-hmm. forward.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that's to me what a, a really leader is. So I'm a leader, uh, I'd, I'd like to think of, of influence. I've never had the privilege of leading through just a lot of people reporting to me. Okay. Uh, I think the other thing that would describe me, I'm a doer, I'm a leader, um, I I'm, I'm influ- um, believe in influence, and my work ethic is just crazy. I mean, it's sort of ridiculous, honestly. Okay. Um, because I, I, <laughs> I see some nodding in the audience. Um, but I true. am a firm believer that um, if you're a doer, you know, some people, and this would be something to take home for some of you who are in undergrad or just starting your careers, uh, you know, so many people get to a point, especially at an executive level position, and whether they say it or not, they act like they're sort of above doing some of, the other, right. some of the work. And to me, it's just like, roll up the sleeves, let's just get it done. Yeah. And so because of that, it's been probably challenging and good for me at the same time in my career.
2: Okay.
1: Um, but I, I think I'm probably looked at as someone who says who is just like, well, just get it done. Right. Um, and it doesn't matter. This morning, for, you know, great, great story. So this morning, <laughs> I was taking a, a trip with the CEO mm-hmm. uh, of... Of Atrium Health and um, one other person, our CFO. So those of you from Atrium would get a kick out of this. And um, at about five o'clock, the email starts. Email, sorry, email and text start going off. What about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? And that's how we work at Atrium. I mean, mm-hmm. we are sort of always on because healthcare never sleeps, right? You thought it was only the city of New York, but it's healthcare too. <laughs> um, but but it's what about all these things? And we're getting everything together and. Um, and then someone said, "Wow, I forgot this at the office." And I said, "You know what? I'm going to go by there anyway on the on the way. So yep. don't worry about it." Um, so then I went to the office, got what they needed, um, picked up coffee, and yeah. it was on my way. For, I mean, for everybody. Yeah. And it was just something that felt like it was the right thing to do. But there are a lot of people that just they don't get into that kind of thing. Right. And I've just never thought that. Well, I guess I've always thought that the day that I wouldn't do that right. um, was probably my demise because okay. it's just not how I lead.
0: Yeah. Let me ask you about your an influence on you. So given that style of kind of being in there with the trenches, not above but beside, yeah. you know, um, did you have uh, any kind of a mentor, formal or informal, who influenced you? You mentioned your father said, don't stay here, you know, get out. Who, who had the greatest influence on your Style, but also want to add work ethic given what you just said. So who, uh, who influenced you the most in, in that regard?
1: So I knew what I, what I wanted to do was say, because I really have never had a mentor. Um, right. I have looked at people, but, but I think the one takeaway for me is what molded my style of leadership well is just so many hundreds of people, thousands of people. I mean, every day mm-hmm. there is someone that shapes me and shapes you, and because today, I promise you, you are not the same person that you were yesterday. Right. Uh, every moment, I've said this before to some audiences, but every moment is a shaping moment, and yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so, yes, my dad, but I would say that a shaping moment for me was April 19th, uh, 1986, because that's when I became a mom. Oh, okay, <laughs> and that was a, for those of you who are parents know what i 'm talking about yeah. that was a very that was very much a shaping moment for me okay um, because I ended up you know not getting too far into the weeds, but I ended up over the course of of raising three kids, doing what I thought I would never do, which is raising them by myself mm. and that's that's really hard to do when you 're trying to think about your career too right but it 's not impossible and um now I sort of look back and say, "Wow, you know, I've got it pretty easy. My life is the easiest it's ever been." Um, but my kids are all are grown and gone, and, and but they the reason that shaped me so much is because every single day, and whether there are two parents or one, it's still a hard job. It doesn't yeah. matter. Um, but you're you know all of you looking at some of the younger ones in the room, and I promise you, you're shaping your parents in huge ways, and you have done that. And I see moms and dads nodding, saying, yeah, I I know it's true. Um, And I've always been a believer that, you know, what I learned at work made me a better mom, and what I learned at home Mm -hmm. made me a better worker.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So my kids shaped me tremendously, and still do, by the way. So my, can I tell a little story? Sure, My favorite last story about my kids is that, I don't get it. one's in San Francisco, one lives in Nairobi, and one lives in Houston,
0: and so Houston. Whoa, how the hell are they doing with the rain? Yeah, I mean,
1: I guess it's fine. Tuesday. Jeez. He okay. gave ground rounds this morning, so he was crazy. Okay. I don't know Tomorrow. what he's doing. Yep. So, um, but but so two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, I went out to San Francisco to be with two or three. The Nairobi daughter was still there, and. Um, They said, we're going to go hiking, we're going to Yosemite, and see, this is the kind of thing that inspires me, that my kids do for me, and so, but they never told me, because I, everybody in this room who knows me knows that I'm always on email, I'm always on text, I'm always, you know, on. And they never told me we're going into a no-connection zone. Ah, okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Strategic on their part. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. absolutely.
1: And, I mean, literally, like, we're getting ready to cross. They're saying, Mom, on this point, we're going to lose connection. I said, what? (laughs) You you guys never told me that. I never told Gene once. I mean, what am I going to do? And um, so we had, I made them take us back across the line, and I got connected. Um, But literally, for three days, we hiked. It was amazing. But it was hard when you are... The biggest thing I missed was GPS. I mean we didn't even know where we were. Wow,
0: yeah. That <laughs> was great. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Would you tell us about a highlight that has shaped you as a leader, something that's happened in your career? I mean, you have had such a phenomenal career. You're very humble, uh, extremely humble in the way you talk about it. But what's what's a highlight that's that's in, that impacts you still today? Uh, in terms of a good or bad or both? Uh, you know what, let's do both. Let's start with something good, kind of a highlight, and then let's move into a question around resiliency. So okay. a highlight and a setback, maybe.
1: I think my, my, favorite, my favorite highlight, the, the good thing that just, it really did reset my career, because remember I came from small little northeast in Concord, and I didn't even know if I was going to have a job right. post that, com- that combination. Uh, the day that Michael Tarwater, who at that time was the CEO, and the same day, Joe Piedmont, who was the present COO, each of them called me separately and said, um, we want you to come. We want you to come into Charlotte. Uh, we want you to do either strategic planning or marketing, uh, whichever one you want. Um, but we don't do them together here so you're going to have to choose and what i said to joe was well that's a mistake you should do them together Um, so when you decide to do them together let me know but i mean i was i was just joking but the bottom line is um that was such an amazing moment for me because i i didn't think i'd have the privilege to come into a place like carolina's and that was a moment that i thought wow um i have the opportunity to around amazing people and when I joined the team at Carolinas I was convinced it was the smartest group I'd ever worked with Yeah, and I was just so happy to be around smart people yeah. not that right. I wasn't at Northeast so right. No, right. because I was it was yeah. just a, it was the scale that was it's so
0: much the bigger. the order of magnitude. Yeah it was difference.
1: just amazing.
0: Okay yeah. well let me ask you so on the other side of that thinking about a setback we focus on resiliency for those of you that are in my leadership class or have taken it before We talk a lot about that kind of bouncing back and and how that's connected to our ability to thrive uh, when we've had an obstacle or a setback in our life so would you mind sharing with us um, something that you've encountered how that impacted you what happened and how does it inform you today how did it change you and and you know a lesson that we can take from that Uh,
1: I've, i've got a couple things so i do have one moment but then i want to say another so another, I want to give another perspective.
2: Okay.
1: So the moment uh, was when I was at Northeast and there were a lot of promotions being made and I got passed by. Nobody else got what I thought should happen, mm-hmm. but the whole what I thought should happen did not happen. And it was really a moment of reflection for me because i remember thinking remember i was the middle child who always had to sort of fight for my own way um i was the the kid who was going to be you know a little bit stubborn go to nursing school and and figure out how to do everything my way and um but it was it was a very really important moment for me think because i i thought wow i could lose a lot of confidence in this and it really could set me back Mm -hmm. or i could really try to do some self-reflection and say well there's a reason that you know i got passed by mm-hmm. and and what is that um, and frankly I'm not sure that I still know the reason but but it caused me to really stop and think and it wasn't any huge milestone for anyone except for me right because it really made me think about it and now what I would say is um, because I think this happens more often than not all of us have moments uh, some have big moments like you're fired or something drastic happens Mm -hmm. Uh, you have a health issue which i had that too that was a setback because i thought i'd never recover from my cancer diagnosis but i would say the most important thing for all of us every day is every day we have setbacks and we choose to look at them that way or not because it's really true Mm -hmm. you don't get invited to a meeting that you think you should you know, with Gene Woods, when he came as CEO, he said, hey, I'm not going to invite everybody to every meeting because that's not a good use of everyone's time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, but, you know, you get your feelings hurt because it's like, gosh, you know, I had an idea. And mm-hmm. he, he just spoke and he mm-hmm. took my idea. And yeah. you have that moment of setback where you right. get to choose how you're going to respond to it. Yeah. 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 And, and so what I've tried to learn to do over the years is know that every single day, you know, it's a shaping moment, you're going to have those little... You can't, you can't let it go to, no, I don't have the confidence. You just can't go there. Yeah. And I tell my kids that all the time. It's like, you have to go in knowing you're going to have adversity mm-hmm. and being ready to deal with it. I mean, that's just life. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it is.
0: Okay.
1: The cancer, that was hard for me, because I really didn't think I'd get through that one.
0: Well, so um, if you don't mind, tell No, I'm about? happy
1: to. So actually, I don't mind sharing this at all, because all of you, you have to wear sunscreen. I mean, seriously. Um, so, uh, I was, um, 49 when I was diagnosed with stage three malignant melanoma. And so you usually think of melanoma as some nasty looking mole somewhere. Mm -hmm. And, um, they never found a site for mine. They didn't know where it Mm -hmm. came from. I went, I went, I was driving down the road one day and went like this and I felt something behind my ear and I thought, what, what is that? And it felt like a, at the time it was about the size of a, it, it actually grew into about the size of a small marble mm. um, and it was hard as a rock. And so, over the course, now I work in healthcare. So, the problem is when you work in healthcare, you think it's never going to happen to you or else you worry, one or the other. Right. Um, but everybody, I was at Northeast at the time, and, and they looked at me like, ah, oh, you're healthy as a horse, get out of here, you're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I saw a specialist finally because it wasn't getting better, and I, it was lymph nodes. It was a very swollen lymph node, hard as a rock, and I had stage three malignant melanoma, means, meaning that it had spread to my lymph nodes. Um, and that was a personal and a professional setback for me. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. Um, that was the hardest of times. Right. right. And um, I went through, I have this beautiful scar that now just sort of goes right in with the Lines in my neck—it's perfect. Um, <laughs> so, and seriously, at 49, I remember saying to the surgeon, "Hey, do you think when you go in there, you can sort of do this and that and make it look better?" Um, <laughs> but, but when I went in, honestly, uh, I didn't know if I'd come out with half of the side of me gone um, because they didn't know if they were finding one lymph node or 45. They ended up removing 40 over 40 lymph nodes. I do have a scar about that long on my mm-hmm. neck, um, and they. They sent all those lymph nodes to pathology. Only one (laughs) had cancer. Mm -hmm. And that lymph node that was swollen and hard um, was the culprit. And the amazing thing was um, it was not spread to any By the end of the day of my diagnosis, I had had a PET scan and everything else, and I knew it had not spread, or at least they couldn't find it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but And it was all here. So then they, they did surgery, removed all those lymph nodes. Um, I went through interferon, which was uh, really, really hard. Uh, went through IV. It's like chemo, except yep. it makes you very sick. Really sick, yeah. Um, and uh, had uh, IV for a month. Um, and then I gave my shots, myself shots every day for the rest of the year.
2: Mm.
1: and. Um, when I was going through, when I was going through, when I, my interferon, I had to get thirty treatments in, before they would let me, do much of anything other than leave my own house, pretty much. And I, my wonderful boss at Northeast let me come to work because I couldn't sit home. You know, I'd, I'd mm-hmm. go crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and long story short, I was on treatment twenty-eight, and my white cells dropped so much that makes you prone to infection. And my oldest daughter. Um, was due to be taken. Still, it's hard for me to talk about. Was due to be taken. She was going to start at Harvard in two weeks, mm. and um, and I was going to go. Yeah. <laughs> and so, when you work in healthcare, you get to have a little more influence. Yeah. Remember that influence yeah, stuff yeah, we yeah, talked yeah, about? Yeah. And so um, it was. We were down to treatment twenty nine. Then we yeah, 29, at twenty nine, the end, the the resident said to me, um, you know, we can't give you this. I mean, your white white cell count is just too low. And I looked at him and I said. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I am going to Cambridge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, and so he called the attending and it's like, if she knows the wrestler, go. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: and so I did and I still have a picture of being at Harvard oh, with my oldest daughter. Yeah. But um, yeah. yeah, that but that was that was hard. And but interestingly, I, I later asked Kristen, I said, Kristen, you know, was that hard for you knowing that you were going off to Boston and um, you didn't know what I mean, my prognosis was not good, mm-hmm. um, and it's just not good for stage three. Yeah. And um, and she said, Mom, it just never occurred to me that you wouldn't get through yeah. it because you've gotten through everything else. Aww. And so that's the resiliency again. Yeah. You know, you just yeah, have yeah. to go in saying, okay. Yeah. Um, and well, we've had conversations.
0: And does something like that, so what what change of perspective do you have when you go through? I mean, I would i my older brother has gone through something similar, um, and I, and he just, things that used to irritate him, he just doesn't even notice anymore. You just don't he, even
1: think about it. Yeah. You really I'm don't. Just... Um, and, 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 but you have to watch yourself because you can fall back into the trap. Yeah. You know, it's like after you lose the weight and you feel really good and yep. then you fall back yep. in the trap yep. and you just yep. have to have that <laughs> burger or something. Yep. Um, but how many in this Pizza room? Pizza at 11 o'clock. P- yeah, that's, that's right. great idea. Yeah. How many yeah. of this, in this room have been touched by cancer in your family or friends? See. It's just everywhere, so this is nothing special about me. Right. This, is all, this is all of us together, uh, because it is a devastating disease.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
1: um, but it changes you, and when, when you, what it did for me uh, was, it, it did reset me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, being a hard driver, I had to catch myself, so I wasn't as good as your brother, because right now, uh, I still to this day have people saying, don't you have a bad health history? I mean, shouldn't you be a little more careful and sleep more than like three or four hours a night sometimes? Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to catch yourself. But thats I've always had a lot of faith, and my faith grounded me then. Mm-hmm. It still grounds me now. Um, but it does make you look at things differently, yeah. and the, the small stuff just doesn't matter nearly as much. Okay. Um, it, made me, it made me realize I could get through one more thing, too. Yeah. That's what it did.
0: Yeah. yeah. Terrific. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna open it up for some audience uh, questions after this question, and then I'm gonna come back for a final question. So, if you haven't already, please be thinking about something that you want to ask Carol related to this discussion, leadership, atrium, anything at all that we've covered. But let me ask you a little bit about your community service. You're very committed to the community here in Charlotte. Yeah. You've lived in other cities, Seattle, yeah. and, Denver, and other places. And Ann Arbor, Denver. Yeah. So, Maybe two questions, how, um, how would you characterize the community in Charlotte, maybe in comparison to another major metropolitan area, Denver may be the closest, I'm not sure, size-wise, and then a second part to that, so how do we compare, and then what do you think Charlotte does exceptionally well, and where do you think we could improve in the community uh, aspect of our, of our uh, great city?
1: Sure, I, I love talking about Charlotte and it's been such a privilege for me to be involved in the community and it's, it's Atrium who allows me to be involved in the community, so that's a pretty cool thing. Uh, but Charlotte, so every city has its own personality, I mean we all know that. Think about where you grew up, where you're from, you're living here, or where you've moved from. And um, think about what you think Charlotte is and, and maybe compare it in your minds, but you asked me about Denver, so Denver, I love Denver. Uh, Denver's a very different city than yeah. Charlotte. And, the, and what I love about Charlotte so much over it, so I guess I'm merging sort of two yeah. things, is that Charlotte is, is an incredibly forward-thinking business city. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that I would call Denver a business city. Okay. You no, know, Charlotte's a business city. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of other great things, but think about banking, think about all the other mm-hmm. things that are going on here and what's made Charlotte great. Um, and it's, it's, it, it's just a great place to be. But it's also to me, whether it's, whether it's business or not, it's a very forward thinking city.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think it's a city that realizes for the most part there's tremendous opportunity here mm-hmm. and it's ours to be lost if we don't grab it. Uh, so that's what I love about Charlotte and the, the leadership teams that I'm on in the city of Charlotte within the Charlotte, greater Charlotte region, it, it's very inspiring. Mm-hmm. You know, For example, uh, Charlotte Regional Business Alliance, I'll put a plug in for them. But that was uh, about a year ago, actually January 1st. I was one of 10 people who brought together the Charlotte Regional Partnership, which is economic development, right. and the chamber. Yeah. And so to bring those two organizations, Jesse Kiriton, yeah, yeah, yeah. um is our current chair of the board of the Alliance. Um, but Janet Labar is a <coughs> brand new CEO. She's been here a few months. She came from Portland. Before that, she was in Phoenix. And she brings all these amazing different ideas. Yeah. Portland itself is so different, but but what I love about Charlotte is there's just so much opportunity, and people realize that. And um, the Charlotte we see today is not the Charlotte that was 10 years ago, and I can promise you, it's not the Charlotte in five to 10 years. Um, Healthcare will make sure that that doesn't happen. You know, (laughs) we are on the move. We're going to build. Did you know? Well, we're bringing medical school to Charlotte.
0: I had heard that.
1: Okay, yeah, I just want to make yeah, sure everybody yeah, knows yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, so we're very excited about that. Yeah. Um, I think the, the thing, though, in, in getting back to Charlotte, uh, the thing, the opportunity, and everybody, every leader in Charlotte would say the same thing. It's that study that we had about upward mobility yep. that economic, was done, yep. Econ- yes, economic mobility. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, out of 50 metropolitan areas in the country, Charlotte was number 50 in terms of it's hard to get out of poverty yeah. if you're there.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and it just, I mean, it does give me goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Uh, it becomes very real because at Atrium Health, one of the things I love most about that is we have this mission that talks about for all,
2: mm-hmm. and we,
1: we don't ever turn anyone away. And this city is really, we're embracing for all too
2: mm-hmm.
1: because we got to be better than that, yeah. and, and we will be.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, we've got leadership in place that are are committed to yeah. making sure that we're not at the bottom of that heap.
0: Yeah, A lot of leaders have taken that personally, which is a That's very right. good thing. It's, so now yes. it's a personal It is. Uh, it's kind of amazing. Goal. And it,
1: it rallies. You know, you, there's no better way than to rally around a common goal, you know, when you yeah. have so much diversity that, that right. you just want to say, OK, we're going to make this happen. So. But Charlotte's amazing
0: yeah I think Charlotte's unique too a lot of folks if you want to if you want to get ahead in business if you want to get better networked or connected one of Charlotte's unique in the fact that you volunteer in the nonprofit that's it's not like that in Philadelphia or Washington or other metropolitan that's areas one like market it is in area. Charlotte yeah. I think a lot of you know there's a lot of networking and opportunity that the nonprofit affords because there's so much participation back in the day, this is not the same as much as it used to be, but when a new leader came to Charlotte, our very own Mr. McCall would call them and welcome (laughs) them and say, here's where I want you to serve, or where would you like to serve in the community? But see,
1: what a great platform he was setting. Absolutely. Great
0: tradition. Yes, absolutely. All right. One other quick thing before I turn it over for some audience um, questions, and then I'll have a final question again. We do have a hard stop at 6.30, and we're going to scoot out this door, so uh, Carol can catch her flight uh, that's leaving this evening. Um, but for those of you that might have been here last year, there's a, there's such an interesting, consistent thread here. We had a speaker, Jonathan Halkyard, who's the president and CEO of Extended Stay America. Oh, her, oh, yeah. And he told a very similar story about being passed over for a promotion that he was ready for and the, the immediate reaction of emotion and thinking about leaving and then deciding to stay and uh-huh. see what he could learn from that experience. Right. And here's where he is now and here's where you are now. So I just think there's, there's a common theme for all of us there that you know, when something happens, you know, don't just react, kind of ha- let, let, it, right. let it kind of sit with us and see what the lesson is for us. Okay, so questions. We've got time for a few questions here. Who's got something? Yes, yes, sir. <laughs>
1: Sure. Okay. Oh, what a great question. Yeah. In fact, yeah. we just redefined what we're calling our, our, our enterprise leadership um, sort of attributes. So okay. the things that we're looking at. Uh, but what? But, so I'll talk about the organization first and I'll talk about me personally. Okay. Okay. So the organization is looking for people who want to join an organization that is not sitting still. I mean, Atrium Health is doing anything but that. Okay. Um, we want people who want to make a difference. We want people the people at Atrium Health, and my teammates in this room, we call them teammates for a reason, yeah. not employees, but my teammates in this room, we're all about the for all. I mean, we love community service. We love giving back. So we've got to have that in mind. You know, you've know, you got to have somebody who feels a connection to the community, wants to give back, okay. uh, whether they're at work and being paid for it or not. Um, you want someone who wants to be part of a, a hard-driving organization. But we also, you know, the bottom line is we are a system that, as Novant and others are too, uh, but we are a system that is looking for excellence. And it's really, really important that, uh, that, that we get people who have this constant desire to learn and get mm-hmm. better. You don't have to come in knowing it. You just have to always have mm-hmm. the thirst to get better. Mm-hmm. So I would say uh, in general for all candidates, it is you know, this, this thirst to make a difference mm-hmm. in the community and where you're, where you're at. It is, you know, wanting to give back for sure. It is um, being part of an organization where you figure out your role and how you're going to contribute to the greater cause, and it is just constant, this constant continual learning. We call ourselves a learning organization mm-hmm. because every single day there's learning. Mm-hmm. And personally, um, I'm looking for people, honestly, always, uh, who who are not to be. Not afraid to be hard charging and driving,
2: mm.
1: um, and get work done because we have a lot of work to do. And mm-hmm. um, unfortunately, uh, the the people that I work with, they work all the time. And, and, and then we take a lot. Then they take a lot of breaks because they should. But when the when you're working particularly now on the mm. partnership M and A stuff, you know when there's something going on, you got to work. Right. right. Um, so you have to have sort of that that yeah. mentality.
0: Yeah. Okay. Great question. Yeah. Uh, yes, sir, and then I'll come down here. Yes.
1: So uh, do you want
0: me to send Whatever you want to do. Um, yeah.
2: You just talked about excellence when looking uh, for candidates. Yes. So
0: as a leader, I want to hear your perspective on uh, company culture. So uh, regarding the question, what drives business the most? Do
2: you look at um, company culture? Do you look at um, individual experts who have proven record of experience in their field and have the skills? So how would you uh, compare
1: those uh two? It's a great qu- it's yeah. a great
0: question. And if it, um, <laughs> like, if it's, it's getting better. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, what's your favorite
2: methods, uh, method to improve company culture? Ah, that was a good question. Oh, well, yeah. that, oh that Okay, that let's better. start with right. that one. Okay.
1: <laughs> so so what is culture anyway? Uh, the the best explanation I ever Will, I'm sure you have this amazing description yeah. of what culture is. <laughs> we talked about this a little bit. Yeah, He's yeah, going to yeah. send me an article, yeah. by the way, so we should ask will uh, but but to me, the simplest explanation of culture I ever received, and it was one in one of our leadership development institutes for Atrium. We had the hard rock cafe person who was in charge of education speaking, and no, he doesn't have a musical bone in his body, but he was he was yeah. running he was running this, and what he said is, and I, I believe it to be true is that Culture is the sum total of all the individuals. So over Atrium Health, it's like 70,000 people. Yeah. It's the norms. It's, it's, it's how you do the work. But every single person of those 70,000 influences it. So when you have someone exit or enter, your culture is changing in just a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Now, when Gene Woods, our new CEO, came three years ago, culture changed over time quite a bit because mm-hmm. he's a CEO. But the fact is we are all... Uh, together, influencing the culture of our organization. So, so that so so how do you change the culture? <laughs> yeah. So I always say to Gene, be careful what you say, because the people yeah. at Atrium will take you very literally, yeah. and they'll go off and do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it's true. But but you do you. I think there's some things that if you have a respected environment and there's a respect for hierarchy and leadership, and Gene Woods is a very loved CEO at Atrium Health then um, the sort of the, the secret sauce is we'll say, okay, Gene, uh, we'll weave this into your talking points, or yeah. we'll weave into this, yeah. um, and, and he'll proclaim something. So that really, for us, is the simplest way to sure. begin to change it is saying, hey, there are two or three or four things here that really they're, they're not in our culture as much as we want them to be. So to me, that is, that is the easiest way to change it. If you've got a respected leadership team, and particularly the CEO, um, in terms of the personal versus sort of the culture, and then the personal excellence, it's the, it's one of those. It has to be both, because what we want is one of, part of our culture is that we're a hard-driving, excellent, high-performing organization. Right. So to me, that is part of the culture, and everyone contributes through it that way. So I think that's how it, it's related to me. Okay. So there, it's not one or the other. It's, it's both, both. and. Yeah. Yes, sir. You had
0: a um so yeah. you talked earlier about um, I believe Charlotte was ranked 50th yes. in yes uh, Is economic mobility. Yes. So yeah, upward so, mobility. Um, mm-hmm. And you were ta- also talking about like this uh, business leadership uh, yeah. I forgot what it's called. Uh, Charlotte Regional Business Alliance. Is the Regional that what it, business yeah. Alliance. So yes. um, are there certain strategies that you'd like to share about how you're thinking about changing our status as 50th in economic mobility
1: and trying to improve it. It's a great question and I I'll be the first to say I'm not the best one because there are people leading this work. Right. right. And so, but if you if you are interested in this topic, which is a great one by the way, just google it. And and you'll find if you just yeah. google, you know, Charlotte, you know, economic um, mobility study or um, upward mobility study you'll find it and there's a ton of work. There are work groups being done and right. the leaders uh, there are many, many different there, I mean, basically it's, it's around all the basic things that you would think about but there are, there are initiatives in terms of upward mobility you think okay what's hindering that? Right. You try to have to get to the barriers first yep. and then how do you get rid of those? And so in some cases it's transportation in some right. cases it's I mean, it could be all the basic things that we see in in life, but I would suggest that you do that, that'd be the best source.
0: Yeah, transportation's a big one, trying to make services consolidate the ease to, or access to different services and the like, so. um, Okay, we are almost out of time, so um, I'm going to ask you one final question, and then again, if you can stay with us, please join us for the reception, but Carol and I will have to make a quick exit out this door here. Advice, so you've got a captive audience here. You've had incredible success, and I'm sure you will continue to do so Um, If there was something you've learned or something you've observed through your career that you would share with us from an advice perspective What would you tell us?
1: There might be some people in this room who have heard this before Mm -hmm. Because it's it's the best advice I can give because it's what I try to follow so I've always been curious as why people want to be conformist and, and sort of fit in with everyone else. Yeah. You know, I used to tell my kids, I've spent my whole life trying to be different. Why would you want to be the yeah. same? <laughs> you know, I, don't, I don't get it. Um, but, the, but the point is, the advice is, in any situation you're in, whether it's as a student in school or in a, 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 a group, a student group that you're working on, it's you're working on a group project, or you're working, because it's always group work, right. um, Figure out how you can add unique value and then do it. And I promise you, you can.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but you got to, you know, don't try to be the conformist. You know, the, the real value you're adding is by being different. And remember, I said every moment's a shaping moment. So every single day, you know, there's no one like you or you or you, there's nobody like you. So you do have something unique to add mm-hmm. and, um, and you, if you don't know exactly what it is, keep working at, your, at it until you do. Because um, I can promise you, you have a unique thought, a unique perspective, some value you can add that will be, you know how a college tries to recruit and they, they make a class. They sort of built, you know, Queens, right. Queens built a class. Yeah. They recruited you, know, you yeah. to build this class, this amazing class. And that's when you are working with other people, you're part of the class and you have a unique role, and you're there for a reason. So don't sit passively, you know, just really get into it and say, yeah, you know, I can bring this to this group. But that's the best advice, is just dig right in, add unique value quickly, and you'll have a lot more opportunities.
0: That's terrific, terrific. Thank you so much. Please join me in thanking Carol Lovin for a terrific event tonight on behalf of Queen's University, Dean Matthew Aww. and School, we have a small token of, of just so. saying thank you again for being here, Carol. It was wonderful. Thank it you so wonderful. much. It was wonderful. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, thank it was you. It great. All right. thank you.